0: Good morning, everybody. I'm really happy to be with you today. My name is Caroline Cutshaw, but you might know me a little bit better as James and Sophie's mom. And I am here. Hey, Fox, come on over. Hi. I'm here today because I wanted to talk a little bit about how it can be kind of hard to believe in things that we can't see with our eyes or touch with our hands, right? Be kind of hard. I don't know about you, but some of my favorite things are the things that I can see and touch and even taste, like ice cream and yeah. popcorn and gum and my favorite teddy bear from when I was five that my grandma gave me. Right? What are some of your favorite things? Um, my favorite thing is, uh, like candy stuff. Oh yeah, dessert like candy and stuff. Absolutely. mermaids, princesses, fairies, absolutely. Unicorns and sweets and foods. Mm. Oh, I'm with you. I love mac and cheese. I love mac and cheese. All of those things we can see with our eyes and we can touch with our hands, right? But I ask myself sometimes, what about the things that we can't see with our eyes and touch with our hands? Can we still believe in those things like like the wind, right? You can't see the wind or grab it with your fingers, but you can you, you can still believe in it, right? It can blow into your face and get caught in you know, it can mess up your hair and your hair can get stuck in your chapstick and your eyeballs, right? You can believe in the wind then. Mhm. That's true. And there are things like love and creativity, right? You can't see love or touch love with your hands, but you can still believe in love. Or when it's nighttime and it's dark, you can't see the sun, but you still believe that it's there, that the next morning the sun's going to rise and bring us new light, right? I think it's the same with God. It's, but it comes back. We believe it's going to come back, right? And there was a group of people a long, long time ago called the Israelites, and God loved I wonder the Israelites. Behind, I wonder behind <laughs> we'll talk about that soon, Fox. But this group of people called the Israelites, God loved them, and the Israelites struggled with believing in a God they couldn't see or touch. A lot of other groups of people tried to make statues or idols out of gods, but the Israelites knew that they couldn't do that. And so what did they do to feel close to God? Do you know? They breathed. They breathed in air. Their word for God was Yahweh because they thought that the word Yahweh sounded like a breath. Yahweh. And so whenever they breathed, they were connected with God, who's the source of all life, right? So we're gonna do the same thing this morning. We're gonna stand up and we're gonna put one hand on our heart and one hand on our belly and we're gonna breathe. We're gonna breathe the air around us okay ready we can't see the air that we're breathing in we can't see it fill our lungs up right yeah yeah we can't see the air that's going into our stomach or our belly and just like that we can't see God but we know that when we breathe in the air and we breathe in God, we can still believe in something that we can't see with our eyes or touch with our hands. Okay, so we're going to pray. Let's all hold hands. Hold. All right, this is what we did growing up. All right, we're going to close our eyes, and we're going to bow our heads, and we're going to talk to God. God, today especially, we thank you for all of the people who gave their lives for our country, and this week especially, God, we pray for all of the children That you have made so beautifully. Thank you for creating every child, Lord. And God, we thank you that even though, like the air all around us, we can't see you, we thank you that even though we can't see you or touch you, we know that you are still in our hearts and we can still believe in you. Amen.
1: Thanks, Caroline. All right. Um, Well, I'm going to read this morning's scripture for us, and then our very own Joe Cutshall is going to preach for us this morning, which I'm super excited. We could give him a round of applause ahead of time. Yeah. Um, So go ahead and hear these words from Mark 9. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the Spirit saw Jesus, it imme- immediately threw the boy in a convulsion, and he fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, How long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said. I commend you. Come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, Why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, This kind can come out only by prayer. This is the word of the Lord.
2: Thanks, Ash. All right. Well, good morning, friends. I I personally vote that the next children's message is given by Fox Anderson, since he is so (laughs) enthusiastic about it. That was awesome. Um, Well, just in case I don't know you, in case I've never had the chance to meet you over the last 10 years, my name is Joe Cutshaw, and I have the privilege of being the Director of Worship and Creative Arts at our church. And uh, I suppose we're still in the sandbox of worship, of trying new things, because I suppose they figured, you know, let's let the worship leader give the sermon. What's the worst that could happen, right? <laughs> um, honestly, I- I'm-, I'm very honored that I get the chance to speak with you like this today. It has been a gift to serve our church in many capacities, particularly over the last couple years. And, and so I hope that this is beneficial, that this is life-giving for you. It certainly has been for me. Um, I also do want to acknowledge this morning, and I feel like we as the church have to acknowledge that, that this is yet another Sunday where we come together as a community uh, in hurt and in anger and disbelief over this horrific mass shooting that is taking place in uh, Uvalde, Texas. And we know here in Boulder what that feels like, maybe more than, than most communities. And, and, and our souls continue to cry out with the psalmist, How long, O Lord? How long until you come and make this right? And, and friends, we're going we're gonna to talk this morning about what it feels like when, when prayers go unanswered and when, when God is silent. And so I hope that the Lord has a, a message for us in that because, man, does it feel like that right now. Right? When we look up and we see all the evil around us, it, it really can feel like like hope is lost. And I just want to acknowledge that. But I also do want to encourage us right off the bat this morning with a few things. First is that I say this in the contemporary service all the time, that, that our anger, our hurt, our doubt, our heartbreak, these are all things that we should unashamedly bring into this space, into worship with us. Because, friends, we worship a suffering Savior who weeps with us, who, who feels these things with us. And, and he has promised, friends, that in the end, the end of the story is that he is going to put all things to right, that the new creation is coming, and that he will wipe every tear. Amen. But friends, in the meantime, I would encourage us with this. I would say that as the body of Christ, that we cannot be silent on, on issues like this. We cannot expect our prayers alone to be sufficient. And rather, we should pray, friends, that God works through us by his spirit to help bring an, e- bring an end to evil like this. And friends, I'm, I'm not going to tell you what to do because the, the political debate is not the point. Certainly not for us, the church. And, and I'd remind us in that of what Randy preached last week, that, that Christ actually came in large part to break down this dividing wall of hostility between people, people groups. But, friends, I am convinced, I, I feel strongly that we need to do something, that we need to ask the Spirit for wisdom and to follow our God-given conscience to help make our schools and our houses of worship and, and our supermarkets and our public spaces more, more safe. Because we're more than our, we are more than our prayers, friends. We are called to be the healing, the restorative, the gracious hands and feet of Jesus in a fallen and aching world. aching world. So let me, let me just pray for us this morning, and, and we'll get into the word together. Lord Jesus, sometimes we come to you, and it, and it just doesn't feel like we have the words. We just don't know what to say. Except to, t- except to say, come, Lord Jesus, come and put all things to right. May your kingdom come in power. May you make all things new. Lord, use us by your Spirit. Use us as your church to be the force of healing and grace and truth to this broken world we find ourselves in. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so for the past several weeks, we have been in this series, Close Encounters with Jesus. And I know that for myself, this series has been a really surprisingly significant journey for, for my own faith. I didn't know how much I needed to hear and be reminded of these, these intimate encounters that people got to have with the God of the universe while he was in flesh. And today, we're going to look at this passage that we just heard from, from Ash, where Jesus heals this, this boy possessed by an impure spirit. And and honestly, I could not have been more excited that that I get to preach on this passage, because there's no way Randy could have known this, but but this passage contains one of my absolute favorite lines from all of Scripture. It's the exclamation of this father when he says, Lord, I believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. And so we're going to talk today about why I think that line is so important and why it's useful to us, but I I do also want to preface this by saying that I also think that this passage can be really, really challenging for us. Um, very much like Randy preached last week on the Syrophoenician Woman, this passage challenges us in who we conceptualize Jesus to be. And I think that it really challenges us in terms of what, um, what the application of Jesus' teaching is and how it challenges us with, with the implication of what Jesus is saying. But as your resident moody artistic worship leader, um, I would invite you to come along with me. I'd invite you to come along with me to to lean into the challenge, lean into the uncertainty and the questions, because I believe that when we do that together, friends, we ultimately come out the other side as stronger believers. And ultimately, I think that this passage is going to force us to confront one of the most important questions that we could ever ask as followers of Jesus, which is, what is the reason for our faith? What What is the real reason for our faith? That's what we're gonna be talking about today. Okay, so let's let's walk through this passage a little bit. What makes this challenging? Well, the first thing for me is that in contrast to this compassionate loving uh, picture of Jesus that we've gotten to see over the course of many of the other close encounters that we've been studying. Here Jesus, like right off right out of the gate, he takes this sort of crass, disappointed, almost overtly insulting tone towards the people in the story in the face of questions that, that honestly at least from my human perspective, they don't seem that unreasonable, right? So, right, once Jesus has come down the mountain from, from the transfiguration, it's this mind-blowing intimate experience with, uh, with Peter, James, and John, and he arrives on scene, and, and he sort of understands what's happening with the disciples and the Spirit and the boy and the Father, and the first thing out of his mouth, once he understands what's going on, is, oh, you unbelieving generation. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? And we're kind of like, whoa, like, all right, like, Jesus, this is the energy you're bringing to this in, this interaction. Like, I, I, I thought you could see that we're doing our best here. And then we see this interaction that he has with the father of the boy. The Spirit sees Jesus, and it throws the boy to the ground in a convulsion. And the father reasonably says, I think reasonably, says, if you can do anything, take pity, have compassion on us, and help us. And Jesus' response is, instead of going right to healing the boy, he tests the father. He says, if you can, anything is possible for one who believes. That's a line that's going to stick with us, that anything is possible for one who believes, right? But the if in this father's question, it doesn't seem unreasonable, right? He'd already brought the boy to Jesus' followers. Jesus followers, his, his disciples couldn't do anything about it. So why is this why is this father expected to know that somehow Jesus can? He doesn't know who Jesus is. And and are we to expect, are we to think that this is the first time that he's brought his son to someone to be healed? Right? If this if this spirit had been trying to kill him since childhood, no, this is probably the twentieth time, it's probably the hundredth time that he's brought this boy to someone who could hopefully heal him. And yet, despite all of those consecutive past failures, he still has enough faith to bring this boy to Jesus. So why does Jesus criticize him? Right? Especially criticize him before he goes on and helps the boy. And then finally, in this passage, we have this totally confusing interaction around prayer that happens after all the action is over, right? Jesus takes the disciples indoors, and the disciples, again, they ask this Pretty reasonable question, right? Why couldn't we drive it out? Because if you recall, just a few chapters earlier, we can put this on the screen, right? In Mark 6, Jesus had sent out the twelve. And and it literally says, calling the twelve to him, he began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over impure spirits. So they're wondering, what changed? Why all of a sudden can't we do this anymore? And Jesus gives this utterly baffling explanation. Well, this kind can only come out by prayer. And the passage is over, right? No more, no, more, uh, like no more information given. And we're just like, what? The disciples are like, what? Like, what could you possibly be talking about, Jesus? Are we to understand that there is a new or a kind of impure spirit that you just didn't tell us about? Because that would have been awfully helpful information before you sent us out. And follow-up question, at what point did you pray to get this, this demon out of this boy, it's, it sort of sounded like you just did what you always do. You commanded the demon to come out, and that's what happened. So what's going on here? What are we to make of these confusing details? What's with Jesus' attitude, and what's with this cryptic detail about prayer? Well, one of the things that we can often do when we need perspective on an event, especially one that happens in the synoptic Gospels, is we go to the other Gospels to see, you know, maybe, maybe Mark or maybe Matthew or Luke can provide some additional clarity. But what we find is that while the stories are largely similar, right, that the narrative is mostly the same, this detail on prayer is where they differ. Okay, so if we go to, if we go to Luke, uh, we, we've got some bad news because Luke just leaves this out entirely. It's almost like Luke's saying, this is too confusing, I just kind of don't want to deal with it. They're, they're all amazed at the glory of God and the, and the story's over. But Matthew's version, Matthew's version is different. This is so interesting. Okay, Matthew connects... The reason that they couldn't drive out this impure spirit to a lack of faith. It's where we get a very famous verse that we can put on the screen right now. It says, then the disciples came to Jesus in private and asks, why couldn't we drive it out? And he replied, because you have so little faith. Truly, I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Here it is again. Nothing will be impossible for you. So what are we talking about here? Like, when it comes to driving out this kind of impure spirit, do we need faith or do we need prayer? What do we need? Well, friends, I actually think that Matthew and Mark are talking about the same thing. And this is something for you to wrestle with, maybe something for you to push back on. But, in, but I think that Matthew's faith and Mark's prayer, they're actually just two sides of the same coin. And here's why, right? We, can, we have this little slide for this, right? If we would define faith... Right? If faith is our trust in God, then prayer is giving voice to our faith, or, or it's the act of trusting God, right? Because think about this, even if, you're, even if we're doubting God, even if we're coming to God and we're shaking our fist in anger, to be talking to God in the first place reflects at least a shred of faith. Right? So so if you believe that's true, if, if you buy that argument, then there's at least one thing that is clear about this, this story amidst all the confusion is that the point of this passage is not really the superficial details. It's not really about driving demons out or about miracles. What this passage about is about is faith. Right? And I think this tracks through the rest of the passage. This is what Jesus is upset about when he says, Oh, you unbelieving generation. Right? It's the message that's behind the miracle when Jesus tells the Father everything is possible for one who believes. And I think, ultimately, that this is what is behind this cryptic comment about prayer, that this kind can only come out by faith. But here's the thing. If I am being completely honest, if I'm being brutally honest, it's, it's this detail, this real, realization that this passage is about faith, That leads me to the most challenging aspect, which are the implications of Jesus' words and teaching when we actually try to apply them to our lives. And here's why, okay? Jesus tells the Father in the story that everything is possible for one who believes. He tells the disciples that they couldn't drive the demon out because they didn't pray or because they lacked faith. And if we, if we back up and we look at the broader picture of Scripture, there is a theme that emerges, particularly in the Gospels, oftentimes from Jesus himself, that if we just have faith, then all, that all things are possible for us, that God is going to give us what we desire, what we ask for, right? Here's, here's a couple other examples. Just a few chapters later, in Mark 11, Jesus says this. He says, have faith in God. Truly, I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself in the sea, and does not doubt in their heart, but believes what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. Here's another example. This is from John 14 at the Last Supper. He tells his disciples, and I will do whatever you ask in my name. So that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask for anything in my name, and I will do it. Right? There's this theme all over the Gospels in Jesus' words and in his interactions with people that is essentially if we have faith in everything is possible for us, that God will grant us what we ask for. But there's a question, friends, there's a question that, that rises up in me whenever I read passages like that. And the question is simple: it's is, is this true? As believers, should this be our expectation of what reality is actually like? That, that whenever we ask God for something, if we have faith, then we should expect to receive it. Because, if, I, if I'm being honest, my experience as a believer—and I, I, I would wager that yours, at least at some point, in some small way, that it has challenged this idea that, that anything is possible for one who believes. And as long as we're being honest, here's a couple more honest things about me. I, I personally, I am no stranger to doubt, friends. I've pushed really hard against my own faith. And I think the reason that I have done that is because of the people that I grew up with and came to faith around, I'm one of the only ones left. I've seen a lot of people walk away from their faith. So much so that, that much of my adult life in, in ministry, it's been trying to answer the question, well, why, why am I the one that's still here? And friends, one of the things that I've seen over the years in the people that I've known who have walked away from the church or abandoned their faith is that this tension, this tension that, that we're describing, that this is usually a factor. It's not, it's not the only factor, right? Usually it's a combination of factors, and one of the things that's worth mentioning this morning is, is a, another big factor in people walking away from faith is spiritual abuse. Which is, which is highly relevant uh, based on the, the, the really scathing report that came out against the, the SBC. That's another matter for us to, to, to pray about and to see if we can enter into healing and restoration with as believers. Right? But this tension, is, is, it's a factor. It's a factor in so many of the, uh, so many of the, the, the people that I have walked away from faith and their, their reasoning. And this is what this usually looks like, right? That the God that we are taught to believe in, Or the God that we conceptualize from scripture, it it somehow it doesn't match up with the reality that we experience in life. And so in this case, I think this is what it looks like. We ask for something in faith, and we have this expectation because it's indicated in scripture that we should receive it, but it seems like it doesn't happen. And it doesn't happen again and again and again, or it, it, it doesn't happen one time. But that one time was really important. Right? The stakes were super high, and we asked for something, and we felt like we believed, but it, but it still seemed like God was silent in the midst of that. And, and over time, this creates a kind of choice for us. And whether we're consciously aware of it or not, I think that this is what happens to us. It sets up this binary before us that either, that either somehow God is, is lying because he's not true to his word, or, or he doesn't exist. And most of the time, especially in the people that I've known who walked away from faith— it's easier to believe that God doesn't exist than he's a liar. So, friends, what do we say about this? What do we say about this? Uh, and and I, I really tried to do my research on this, right? If you've tried to check out a, a book on the Gospel of Mark from the church library, like they're all st- I really tried to make sure that, that I wasn't missing anything here. But I'll tell you the most valuable insight that I got on this topic. I reached out to Lindsay the, the director of our, our prayer ministry our prayer ministry because she and her team They're the ones who on on a daily basis. They're doing this for us. They're they're praying for miracles. They're praying for healing Right They're They're praying all over the church even this morning before you got here That's that's what they are doing And so I asked Lindsay, you know as, as someone who is taught on this and who prays for miracles and deliverance for individuals and for our church like how how do you handle this like, how do you teach on this passage? How do, you, how do you handle this topic in your ministry? And of course, we talked about theology, friends. There's a lot of good theology around this subject, but but if I can give you the gist of our conversation, it was basically, yeah, this can be really, really hard. Because as a prayer minister, you see both the wins and the losses. You see the times when God shows up and, and the miracle is right in front of you, but then you, you see the time, times where you're like the disciples in this story, where you're struggling and struggling and it's not happening, and you don't know why, and it's really difficult. Now some of you are out there, you're, you're probably thinking at this point, like, whoa, I kind of wish we'd gone to that barbecue early if all we're talking about is this depressing doubt and uncertainty. And well, I want to reassure you, there is some hope, friends. We're, we're getting there. But here's why I'm talking about this, okay? Here's why I'm, I'm leaning into the doubt and the uncertainty and the questions. It's not because I like it, it's not because, it's certainly not because I want to sow seeds of doubt in any of you. Friends, it's because I've seen so many people walk away from the faith. Artists that I've followed for years that that, that have wrote beautiful works of art for the church and their faith just evaporates Or people that Caroline stood, stood beside, worshiping Jesus, and now they're gone. I've seen lots of people walk away from faith, and friends, I'm tired of it. I'm tired of seeing people walk away from faith when I feel like the gospel still still has so much goodness and hope to share with the world. Are you tired of it? But what do we say? Right to the people who have walked away from faith or maybe that's you Maybe you're sitting out there this morning and you're you're an inch away from walking away from faith You're watching online and you're you're an inch away from walking away from faith No one around you would would know it, but you know it in your heart What can we believers say to you because if we can't definitively if we can't demonstrably show That god is going to give us what we ask for When we ask for it, then what is the reason for our faith? That's the question we started the morning with What is our faith built on? And friends, as believers, I really think that we have to ask ourselves this question. We have to wrestle this question to the ground because our lives and our world are so broken. There are so many things that desperately need God's intervention and they need miracles. And we find ourselves like the Father in this story, where where there are things in our own lives that we're just beyond—it's beyond our control to fix. And as we said at the, to- at the top of the sermon, we-, we look out from our own lives, friends, and it just feels like evil is running the show, right? The-, the shootings in our country over the last two weeks alone would be evidence enough to prove that. But that's far from the end of the list. And if we're praying for these things, and, and it seems like God is silent, or if God's showing up for some, but he's not showing up for the others, then, then-, then what cause do we have? Where does our hope come from? Let's pause, okay? Let's back up for a second. Let's, let's take a broader view of Scripture for just a moment because, friends, as I was studying for this topic, I didn't find the magic bullet. There wasn't a, a, an, an answer that could assuage the actual things that I know that you're struggling with and that you're praying for and that you're sitting with. But one thing that I can say confidently is that the faith, the faith of the first disciples, the people who walked with Jesus... Through these close encounters that we've been studying their faith the reason for their faith was something more something deeper Than whether or not God gave them what they asked for in prayer Amen We know this friends. I mean purely based on the suffering that they endured most of them were martyred for their faith They were thrown in prison. They saw their friends beaten and tortured Here's a quick example Paul the greatest church planner in history he, he, he writes in Second Corinthians about this thorn in his flesh, this, this, um, this physical disability that we don't really know what, what it was specifically. But this is what he says. He said three times, I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Friends, did Paul pray in faith? And here's, here's the kicker. Here's one of the most significant moments in the Gospels, I think. Jesus, just before he is handed over to be crucified, before he's ultimately executed and dies for our sins, this is what it says. Going a little farther, he fell, fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Does that sound familiar? Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Friends, our Savior prayed that prayer. The one who had no sin prayed that prayer. The one who was God in human flesh prayed that prayer. Was he given what he asked for? Because he still went to the cross either way. That's something for us to, to, to chew on and to wrestle with. That ought to tell us something. So let's get back to the passage at hand. I, see, here's, here's the bottom line. I think that the issue that we face as humans is that we are so blinded. We're so blinded by the attractiveness of miracles and answered prayers that we miss what the miracles and what the answered prayers are actually for. You see, the the heart of this passage, I think, the heart of this passage is in this interaction between Jesus and the father of the boy. And it's this detail that we so easily miss in light of the miracle that comes after it. Because think about this, right? The Father didn't say, he didn't say, Lord, I believe, now please heal my son. That's not, what he, that's not what he said. He said, Lord, I believe, help me overcome my unbelief. Now, first of all, Jesus said this kind can only come out by prayer. Well, maybe, maybe I'm stretching it a little bit here, but, but if that phrase, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief, if that's not a prayer, I, I kind of don't know what is but the point being that in this desperate plea or prayer or request or whatever we want to call it the father doesn't ask for a miracle he asks for faith the reason for the miracle in this passage it, it isn't just simply the act of healing or alleviating the boy's suffering it's not just that it's to produce faith and friends as we walk through the tension Of our answered versus our unanswered prayers, this is this is the lesson that we can't miss. That miracles and the answers to prayer that, that we see in Scripture, and even the answers to prayer and the miracles that we may experience in our own lives, they're never meant to illustrate that God is simply in the business of giving us what we ask for. That's not God's goal. That's not his ambition. Friends, that's what's known as the prosperity gospel. The miracles and the answers to prayer that we experience, they are meant to produce faith in us. Faith that Jesus is with us, that He does care about our human suffering. But even more importantly than that, that Jesus is who He claims to be. That He is the one who has all authority, that He is the Son of God, that He is the Savior of the world. And most importantly, that He is worth following. He's worth trusting, especially when we don't have all the answers to our questions. So there's a few thoughts I want to leave you with as as we head out back into our Memorial Day. First is this. God knows us well enough to know that there will simply never be enough miracles or answers to prayer to produce true, lasting faith in us. And I think this is, this is ultimately what's behind Jesus' attitude in the beginning of this passage, because no matter how many times he healed someone, no matter how many times he cast out a demon, or resurrected someone from the dead, the people always demanded another sign. It was never enough, and, and we know, I think if we're honest, that this is true for us as well. I personally, um, I've been praying pretty consistently for rain these past few weeks. I imagine some of you have been doing the same thing, and, and last weekend, God's like, well, here you go, but I caught myself. You know, my first, thought is it, my first thought in that is not, oh, praise God. My first thought is, man, kind of a bummer weekend, huh? can't take my kids to the park. I hope my trees don't break. And I just, you just imagine Jesus in heaven, just like, oh, you faithless generation. (laughs) Okay, second, and this is really important, the, the reason for our faith, the real reason, the root of our faith, the cornerstone of our faith must be built On the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Another way to say this is that that our faith can't be built on miracles alone, but on the one who shows us his authority through the miracles and through the answered prayers. Friends, Jesus cares about us. He cares about the suffering you're enduring, the questions that you have, and he weeps with you, with us, at the brokenness of this world. But we have to remember, we have to remember that his ultimate answer to all of that suffering, his ultimate answer to all of that suffering and the evil that we see around us, it's not a litany of miracles. His answer to all that suffering is the cross. That he did what none of us could do. That he paid the price that none of us could pay. So Randy reminded us this week that that today in the liturgical calendar is Ascension Sunday, where, where where we remember that Jesus has risen to heaven, that he sits on the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. And the risen Christ says again, I will wipe every tear, and behold, I am making all things new. That's the end of the story, friends. That's the reason for our hope. Finally, this is this is where we come back to the passage. Why why I think this line for us is so important. Faith, true faith, can only be reached at the end of ourselves. As we walk through these uncertain, these, these difficult times with the tough, unreconciled questions, I think there's maybe no better prayer for us to pray than this plea of the Father. Lord, I do believe. Help me overcome. My unbelief Because it, it, it's a paradoxical statement friends. It's contradictory, but isn't it isn't it so true to where we actually find ourselves? That's where we find ourselves when we are when we are out of options when we are out of strategies to try when we are at a loss for what to do Amidst the evil of this world and that friends that's the place where true faith true trust true reliance On Jesus, that's where it begins. So let's let that be our prayer this week as as we leave this place and seek to be the healing hands and feet of Jesus to this hurting world. Lord, we believe. Help our unbelief. Let's pray together and then we're gonna we're gonna sing some more songs. Lord, we believe. Would you help our unbelief? For, for each person in this room, I, I, pray, I pray for faith. I pray that we would trust you even when it feels like all hope is lost. I pray that you would, you would strengthen us. That your spirit would, would speak spirit-taught truths and spirit-taught words that we would have the peace that transcends all understanding. And ultimately, Father, that, that that out of that conviction, that we would move as your body to help heal this hurting and aching world. We long for your kingdom to come. And the goodness and the justice and the mercy that that will bring to all the people who are hurting this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.